Amen. Be finding in your Bibles 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we will begin in verse 17 this morning. Last week we talked about the meaning of baptism. And we said that there are two lasting ordinances of the church. And we said the first ordinance that we would talk about would be believers' baptism. And obviously the second that we're talking about today is the Lord's Supper. It's also known as uh, the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word that means to give thanks. Because remember when Jesus got to the cup of blessing, the third cup of the meal of Passover, as he celebrated that last supper with his disciples in the upper room, he lifted up that cup, the cup of blessing, and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. If you remember that, so it comes from that word, the Eucharist comes from that word. And also, that we're going to kind of drill down on this morning, another word that Paul uses in the book of 1 Corinthians to describe the Lord's Supper, he calls it communion. Uh, and the Greek word there is kinonia, and we get the, another translation of that word, we get the word fellowship from that word as well. Communion, having things in common with one another. And so when you sit down at a table, and, and you're sitting across from someone and you're watching them put food in their mouth and chew their food, that's kinonia. So, so roughly translated, the word kinonia means watching other people eat, right? Fellowship. I mean, how, how, how more intimate could you be than, than sitting down at the table watching someone else chew food? And, th- and that's what this is about, uh, sitting down together. And enjoying something together. So here's the biblical truth that we'll get right into this morning before we read uh, our text. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the saints' communion with the Lord. I hope that... Uh, there. Okay, there we go. I was make sure that it loaded, Miss Marianne. I was getting worried. So I know I'm jumping back and forth here. All right, so go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, and stand with me, and we'll read together. Verse 17 and following. We're just going to read the first paragraph here. And we're going to hear the negative example that Paul uh, is giving to this church of what they're doing. We're going to hear this. And this this uh, charge that he's given to the church. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So that's the first charge that he gives. And then verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now we're going to get on down into the rest of the text here in just a minute. But let's just stop here and we'll pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us learn from the negative example of the Corinthian church. Father, we do thank you for your word today. We ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment. Lord, Empower the preaching, the proclamation of your word, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. 
declares the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give me words in preaching that might edify those who hear. And Lord, that as we gather around this table here in just a few moments, Lord, that there would not be a heart that's far from you, Lord, but each and every one would draw near. And Lord, that we would come to this table in a worthy manner, in a manner that says we understand and we participate in the sacrifice of Christ and what he's done for us by receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior and living for him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the Lord's Supper symbolizes the saints' communion with the Lord. We talk about that word communion, and it means the oneness with Christ. Participation, Paul is going to say. So as we participate, we are remembering the death, burial, and resurrection. And thinking about, looking ahead to the second coming of the Lord. I remember when I took the Lord's Supper for the first time with my family in church, after being baptized. Can any of you remember the first time that you took the Lord's Supper? I remember before that, whenever I was a kid, I used to sneak into the kitchen where they were preparing uh, the, the Lord's Supper. And uh, after the meal and everything, after the, the Lord's Supper, it was all over. They'd take what was left over in the back there. I'd sneak in that kitchen and I'd get to eat some of the bread and drink some of the cup. Um, but I wasn't participating in the Lord's Supper. I was just eating what was left over. You know, if you don't have Jesus in your heart and you're not really coming in a worthy manner, it's just a snack. Kind of like if you don't have the inward change that baptism represents, you're just getting dunked, right? Well, the same thing is true. You're just taking a snack in, right? We're going to see how Paul says, no, there's a deeper meaning here. And if you come in an unworthy manner to this table, then you're going to incur guilt. We're going to hear what he has to say about that. So you hold on and we're, we're, going to, we're going to listen to what he says about that in just a moment. But I want us to think about first the manner of communion. The manner of communion. And, and, and look at verse 17 again. See, there was total disorder in the worship of the Corinthian church. Paul says in, in these following instructions, I do not commend you. In fact, Paul is almost appalled by what was happening. The Lord's Supper was the most important time for the church to maintain order and reverence, and yet they were running ahead and gobbling up the food before other people had a chance to participate. It was irreverence. I remember Allison talking to me about an extraordinary women's conference that she went to, where all the ladies were gathered together in the big arena, and they're worshiping and celebrating and talking about Jesus and learning about Jesus and talking about how they should love one another and, and how they should sacrifice for one another the way that Christ Jesus did. And as soon as it was over the last prayer, they said amen, and all the ladies knew that Chick-fil-A was over in the fellowship hall. It was like a stampede running over each other. And so you can imagine that that'd be kind of the way it was in the Corinthian church. When it was time for the Lord's Supper, that they didn't just take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice or wine, what they did was they had a, a full meal and they called these agape feast or love feast that they would have where they're supposed to fellowship together. And then at the center of that meal would have been the breaking of bread and the wine, which symbolized the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. 
And yet they were running over each other. And whenever it was time to take the meal, nobody was really paying attention. Everybody was just, it was just chaos. It was disorder. And so Paul wants to tell them what my mama would tell me whenever I would get a little rowdy at the table. She'd pop me and she'd say, mind your manners. Anybody ever had their mother tell them that? Mind your manners. We need to mind our manners when we come to the table. And Paul told the Corinthian church about the manner of their communion and how it was not the Lord's Supper that they were taking, that they had caused it to be something else. It says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. In other words, they're making it about them and not about Jesus. Hey, we can be real quick to do that, can't we? Make church about us and not about Jesus. So Paul highlighted two problems with the way the Corinthians were observing the Lord's Supper. These are the two problems that he highlights. The first problem is disunity. There's a lack of unity in the church. Paul said that when they came together as a church, there were divisions among them or fractions among them. Division in the church is like a a breach in the hull of a ship. You're going nowhere but down until you get it fixed. Divisions, where does it come from? Well, they result from pride. Someone gets their feelings hurt. They don't get their way. They sulk and they simmer about it. They're unwilling to forgive. So they live with resentment and animosity toward another person. Toward a brother or a sister in Christ. The division doesn't stay there. This is what you need to really get. You really need to pay attention to this, okay? Because whenever there is division in your own heart, it doesn't stay there. It calls a line of division within the church. And if it's left unchecked, it'll, it will spread to others. He said, she said, gossip, rumors. You rally others to your support. And before long, there's a fracture in God's church. There's a fault line right down the middle. In the same context where Jesus, in the upper room, he institutes the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus prays this high priestly prayer. In John 17, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. Sorry, that's kind of washed out up there. It looked great on my computer in my office. 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul speaks to the division in the church and he confronts it and he says, this is wrong. And so all throughout the the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is confronting that division and he's saying, church, you got to get it right or you're going to be wrong with the Lord when you come to the table. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Does that mean that we agree on everything? I mean, do we all have to become Alabama fans just so we can make a few of us happy? No. It doesn't mean that we agree on everything, but we agree on the important things. We agree on the essential doctrines of the faith. Those things we must agree on. And there can't be division about those things. And and then he goes on to say there that that there be no divisions among you. 
Now, we can, we can sit together at the table and one of you be a, a, a Seminoles fan and the other person be an LSU fan, right, Cody? We can sit down at the table together over those things. But he's talking about the things that really divide us. We've got to be unified together. There can't be animosity toward one another. We have to be of the same mind whenever it comes to the things of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, a non-believer, a person that doesn't know Jesus, wants what they want and they want it now. I mean, you know what that's like because you've been waiting in line with those people before. But the scripture says that that should not be named among us. It shouldn't be true of us as Christians. And then Paul tells us in the previous chapter where we are today in chapter 10, he says the cup of blessing that we bless. And he's referring to that third cup that was lifted up during the Passover Seder that was the the cup of blessing in the upper room. And he's saying every time we come together, that's the cup that we're lifting up. That's the cup that speaks to the, the union of Christ with his people. That's what it speaks with. Communion is in that cup. The cup of thanksgiving that God has done it all. Jesus paid it all. When we pick that cup up, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. And what he's saying is, when we come to the table, we all come the same way. We all come as sinners in need of a Savior. We all come needing the blood of Jesus to cover us. And so what does that mean? Well, if Jesus forgave us by giving us his blood then shouldn't we forgive one another? Listen, if you're holding a grudge in your heart, you're not ready to come to the table. If you're holding unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, it doesn't matter what they did to you, if you haven't forgiven them, you shouldn't come to the table. you got to get it right. And so disunity was that, that first issue, that first problem that Paul confronts. And then the second one is disrespect. The not minding their manners. He says, when you come together in verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? For uh, Shall I contend, uh, commend you in this? No, I will not. He says two words there that, that point to the disrespect for that table that the Corinthians had. That they weren't really showing reverence and, and understanding the weight of what was taking place. They, they just didn't get it. There's two words. He, he uses the word despise. He says, do you despise the house of God? Now, we've talked about this before, but we can say it again. The house of God is not this building, right? It's a beautiful building. It's going to get even more beautiful, beautifuler. But it's not talking about the building. We're talking about the people 
You despise the gathering of the people, the communion of the saints. Do you think it's an unimportant thing that's taking place whenever the people are coming together to worship the Lord? What does the Lord Jesus say? He says, for where two or more of you are gathered in my name, what? There I am as well. He's in the midst. So he says, when we gather together, the Lord's there. This is the house of God. And you need to show some respect for God's house. You don't come in however you want to come in. You come in ready for worship. You come in in a worthy manner to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to gather with His people. Okay? So he says, do you despise the house of God? And then he asks another question. He says, do you humiliate? Humiliate those who have nothing? See, communion is a reminder that we are all equal At the foot of the cross. One southern country preacher said. No one struts. At the foot of the cross. No we don't strut. What do we do? We kneel. We bow. Why? Because we're all equal. See in that church. The socioeconomic statuses of different believers in the church was being magnified and people were paying attention to the the ladies that could really fix their hair up and put strands of gold in their hair and wear chains of gold around their neck and the men who could who could dress better than anyone else and had that those positions of status they were honored they were welcome in and one would say hey you sit here and the others you know you just sit down over there and then oh well you get to go first because you're important And this points to why we do what we do in the church. Because we must remember that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. I want want to tell you this. The Lord will not accept your act of worship. Whether it was putting the money in the offering plate, singing the songs at the top of your lungs this morning. Which, by the way, y'all sounded great today. Keep singing, church. But the Lord will not accept any of that while there is enmity between you or your brother, you and your brother or your sister. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, the Lord said this. He said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, okay, and you and you could also fill in that blank with if you are coming to the Lord's table, because it's all part of worship. It's all an act of worship. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, some of us, Jesus said, leave your gift there at the altar because that's like a I'm going to come back thing. Right. What some of us do, we, when we get upset with someone else and we recognize that rather than forgive and rather than get it right, we just go home. Jesus says, no, leave the gift Go and be reconciled and then come back and offer the gift. Some of you, you're hearing what I'm saying right now and what what you've got in your mind is, well, I'm just not going to participate. I just won't take the Lord's Supper today because I just don't feel like forgiving. I just don't feel like dealing with that. Did you hear the Lord's instructions? He said, deal with it. Deal with it today. Deal with it now. Don't wait. Deal with it now. 
And so then we see the manner of communion. And we need to have manners when we come to the table. But secondly, we see the message of communion. Look at what he says in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which, uh, what I also delivered to you. So Paul is saying that the, the instructions that the Lord gave him, and we believe that Paul spent time with the Lord personally. He spent time in the wilderness away, learning from the Lord. Where, where did Paul get all of this stuff? Well, Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually met Jesus face to face, the resurrect, resurrected Christ. He saw him and he learned from him. And he says, so what I received from him, I deliver to you. That what the Lord that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And, 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 and some of the manuscripts say, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so as we come together, it's time to remember. It's time to reflect. And some of our memories are starting to fade. They're not as good as they used to be. Right? I, have, I go to the pantry more and more often. And I stand there and I go, what am I here for? <laughs> oh, wait, it was that. Okay. Remember. Remember his suffering. Remember the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a day that James and John wanted to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? That's what he's, are you going to, are you going to be able to handle the suffering that I'm going to go through? Now, James and John said, they piped up and said, oh yeah, we can do that. And Jesus said to them, you will suffer this way. You will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. But they had no idea what that would look like. They had no idea that that would look like being beaten, spat upon, mocked, whipped, Scourged on his back. Wed bloody and bleeding up a hill. Nailed to a cross. Lifted up. Suffocating. A crown of thorns on his head. His beard ripped from his face. And most of the depictions would put a little loincloth around Jesus. But scriptures say he was naked. Suffering. And as we come to the table, we're called to remember that. To remember the, the great drops of blood that he, that he sweated in agony. You know, the road that he walked upon from Pilate's headquarters all the way down to Golgotha is called the Via Della Rosa. And the translation is the way of suffering. And we're called to remember that. Even the elements of the supper represent his blood, his body, 
If you think about the bread, listen to Isaiah 53, verse 5. Now, this was written 700 years before Jesus was upon the earth. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There's an interesting little tidbit about the Lord's Supper. As the Jewish community celebrates the Passover year after year, they have an element in that meal, which is the bread, the unleavened bread. And that bread would have been pierced because it was to be unleavened bread. It was not supposed to rise at all. It's supposed to be flat. So they would pierce it in rows. And then they would bake it in the oven to keep it flat, also known as flatbread, right? They kept it flat by poking holes in it. But when they poked the holes in rows on the bread, it would cause brown stripes as they baked the bread, brown stripes to be baked into the bread. And in that Passover Seder, the father of the family, the head of the household, he would actually take a piece of this bread. And they didn't know what this meant. They didn't understand what it meant. It's kind of like our, some of our Easter tradition. They would take that bread before the meal, the father would. He would wrap it up in a linen cloth and he would take that bread and he would hide it somewhere in the house. You kind of starting to get the picture? The bread that's pierced and striped, wrapped up in a linen cloth and hidden away. And it was called the afikomen. And then at the end of the meal, the father would signal to the children, okay, it's time to go get the bread. And the children would get up and they'd go look through all, all throughout the house. And then they would find the afikomen. They would bring it up. They would uncover it. And then he would break it, bless it, and they would eat it together. And that, that imagery, what does it represent? Well, does it not represent the body of Jesus? And they don't even realize what they're doing year after year as they celebrate the Passover. The body that was pierced. The back that was striped to bear our sins. The punishment for our sins. But not only did he die, but he was raised again. Glory to God. Just as the Afikoman was raised out of its hiding place, the Lord Jesus was raised out of the tomb. So we remember his suffering. Then we remember the fact that it was Not just suffering, but it was a sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 22, he's speaking about all of the sacrifices from what happened in the garden where the Lord took the the skin of an animal and covered over Adam and Eve all the way through the Levitical system, all the way up to the time of Jesus. Every single time an animal was sacrificed, it pointed to Jesus. And then Jesus was the fulfillment of of it all. And then he says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The body and the blood of Jesus is the meaning and the message of this communion. It's why we do what we do. And in that, we celebrate the new covenant, meaning that that God has made a promise to us that any of us who come under the blood of Jesus and we participate in his sacrifice, that one day we will be welcomed into his presence forever. 
not cast away, but welcomed in. And so as we partake, Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is the message. I remember whenever I was a little kid, sitting next to my mom and dad and watching them eat the bread, drink the cup, and I thought, wow, that's not enough. We need some more. <laughs> but I tug on my, my mom's skirt and I say, Mom, what is this? And then she'd tell me what it represented. And every time we partake in the Lord's table, she would proclaim to me, the next generation, just as you've proclaimed to your children and your grandchildren, when they said, what is all that? Why do we eat that and drink that in church? Why do y'all do that? And then you tell them, hey, it's about the body and the blood of Jesus. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. And when does that proclamation end? When the resurrected Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. It's over. So this table and this pool one day will no longer be necessary. One day the Lord Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fulfill everything that he ever promised. And we'll see him face to face and we will enter into his rest. There will be no need for a table. There'll be no, no need for a baptistry anymore. We're going to see him. Matthew 26 verse 29 Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, it's going to have a new meaning when we sit down at the table. It's going to be a celebration like no other. So the Lord's Supper looks back at His crucifixion and forward to His coming. And then He says in verse 27, He says, remember your manners. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I want to get too deep into this, but I want you to understand if this represents the body and the blood of Jesus and you come disrespectfully to this table and you take it as an unbeliever, you take it as a believer with a grievous sin in your heart, unconfessed sin in your heart, if you come to it that way, the Scripture's saying you're guilty. It's, it's almost as if you were the one who were nailing Jesus to the cross, committing murder against Jesus, committing sin against his body and his blood. And so it's a very serious thing as we come. So we've seen then the manner and the message, but I want you to think lastly with me about the method of communion and how we come. Because everything that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11 really dictates how we come to the table. Look at what he says then in verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So there's some an examination. Hey Amen. Would, would that we would remember our own sin as well as we remember the sins of others and confess those to the Lord. And so before we come to the table, there, we're going to give you this time in just a few moments that you ask the Lord to reveal any unconfessed sin, any sin that's there that you're not even recognizing. Bring it to the Lord, especially any that you know, but you haven't confessed. Bring it to the Lord. First John 1, 9 and verse 10 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he follows that up in verse 10. We read this uh, occasionally, but probably not enough. He says, if we say we have not sinned, if we say, oh, well, I'm, I'm ready. 
I can come to the table. I've never sinned. <laughs> Nobody would say that, I don't think. But I don't have sin today. I'm ready to come to the table. But we don't do the, do the process of confession and cleansing. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. Levi Lusco used to say, you'll never be healed when sin is concealed. That's a nice little pithy statement, but isn't it true? You'll never be healed when sin is concealed. So bring it to the Lord. So he says, examine yourselves. And then he says, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Look at what he says. He says, for if anyone eats, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And Paul is saying, there's some serious consequences for coming to the table in an unworthy manner. And lots of commentators argue about that, so we're not going to argue about that this morning. Verse 31 but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait on one another. And some of you think, wow, the Lord's Supper really takes a long time to do it the way that they do it. But here's why we do what we do. We have the, our deacons, they come as servants of the table and they, they prepare the table. And then they distribute the elements. One at a time, every person gets a piece, right? And, and what that symbolizes, what that represents, is that every single one of us is important to the Lord. We all matter. We're all equal. And then, I, on, on my signal, hopefully I do a good job of signaling by putting it in my own mouth. You all put it in your mouth at the same time. That's why we do it this way. Now, other denominations do it differently, but that's why we do it. Because we're waiting on one another. No one's going ahead and no one's left behind. We all do it at the same time. And we all get the same amount. Everybody gets a little piece. Nobody gets a big meal. And nobody's left out. We get one little piece of bread and one little cup of juice. It's not about filling your belly. It's about feeding your soul. And, and, that, and that's why we do this method that we do. We want everyone in the room to understand that they're important and that every believer deserves to participate. And then he goes on to say, eat at home if you're hungry. It's not about filling you up. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. He's saying, listen, this is such a special meal. It's not, just, it's not any other meal like any other meal that you take. If your stomach is growling and you're hungry, then your mind's not where it needs to be. If all you can think about is lunch, maybe you shouldn't come to the table. I mean, the portions are so small, no one could overindulge. We fix that for you. You don't have to worry about that. But then the last point, and I don't want to make too much out of this, but I do want to mention it. Paul says, about the other things, I will give direction when I come. And what he's saying is, I'm coming, I'm going to check up on you about this. He's reminding them once again, I'm coming. And I'll give you more specific details 
when I come. So this is about pastoral authority and accountability to the word that's preached. If you hear a sermon, if, if we come together like on a normal basis, and I preach the message of the gospel to you, and I, I give instruction to the believer, and you turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the word of God, in that moment, you make yourself unworthy to come to the table. Because the Lord's instruction has just fallen upon you, but you're unwilling to obey. And if you're unwilling to obey, you're not ready for the table. And you've just heard about the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out for you. You've just heard about how you should be forgiving to your brother or your sister and come in a worthy manner to the table. Are you willing to obey that? Now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes because this is our invitation. This is the time for you to make it right with the Lord. To say, Lord, I've heard your word this morning. I believe in your word. I believe what you've said, what you've spoken. I know it's true. And so, Lord, I'm coming clean to you right now. I confess my sin. I want your cleansing and your forgiveness. I rejoice in my salvation knowing that I belong to you. I rejoice in the, the blood that was shed and the, the body that was broken for me. And I, I know that, Lord, my sins are forgiven. And if right now there's a question in your heart about what I just said, those statements, if, if they're not true of you and you, you're not sure about them, 100% sure about those statements, then right now is your opportunity to put your faith, to place your faith in Jesus Christ once and for all for the forgiveness of your sin. You've seen a beautiful example of that as we watch this young man be baptized today. A person that, whose life was changed forever and he's symbolized that, signified that by going under the waters of baptism. That could be you as well. You can know that your sins are forgiven. Know that you're ready to stand before Jesus if He were to come back today. And if you want to make that right, I want to lead you in a prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done what I know is wrong and I've failed to do what I know is right. And Lord Jesus, I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you died in my place, that you took the penalty for my sin. Your body was broken and your blood was poured out for me. I believe that on the third day you were raised again. So Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Put your spirit inside of me. Jesus, I'll live for you and I'll love you until you return. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand with me. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that with all of your heart, this is your opportunity now 
to let us know about what Jesus has done for you. And if you need to go to a brother or sister before we come to this table, we're about to come to this table, and you need to ask forgiveness, then you go. If you need someone to pray with you, our altar counselors will be here to pray. You respond as the Lord leads you. Take this time, examine yourself, and be ready to come to the